Welcome to the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. I am joined today by Mike Krupka and our special guest, Luke from the Road Dogs podcast. How are you doing today, boys? I'm doing great. I'm going to... You know, it's, it's Wednesday. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead in with the, uh, a quote from uh, OBJ today. I'm, uh, I'm feeling giddy, almost like a kid today, after watching uh, minicamp these last couple of days. Great day today. How lovely is it that after a couple of weeks of, is he cool? Is he happy? Is he excited to be here? That for like one shining moment, it all kind of came together. And I'm hoping, and I'm assuming that like, as we look back on this a month, ago, uh, a month from now, when all the training camp drama kicks in, that, that this was like, as far as the good feelings go, this might be the, the, uh, the high end, the high point, the apex. You know, it's interesting because today Baker, or not Baker, I'm sorry, Odell did the one thing that's very hard to do as a human and as a man, and he killed him with kindness. Ugh. Right? Incredible. Incredible. They were, they've been so mean to him on, on the voluntary OTAs, and what's he doing, and is he ready? He put on a smile. He was cool, calm, and collected. He was polite. He answered everybody's question. Even when people were trying to get him before I was leaving, he was still nice. And uh, as Browns fans, we should be excited. And I, that just had to rub the media just a little bit. Just a, oh, He didn't even give us a soundbite. So <laughs> I, was, I was happy for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, I, I watched that interview, and he came across as, uh, as all the things you said. I, I would kind of paraphrase it and say he had this almost like alpha zen about him where he was just <laughs> totally, totally relaxed but totally in control, and you know, he was well-prepared. He kind of understood what questions were going to get lobbed at him, handled it well. Uh, just you could tell, and I mentioned this on Twitter today, he's just totally comfortable with who he is, with his decisions. And the thing I, I sort of like as a tangential point is he kind of buried the whole OTA narrative in one, like just one approach, one sentence, and it just went, it's just dead. I mean, yeah. everything that Joe Thomas said yesterday, more or less, he, he expounded upon, and it just was like put to bed with crickets. And it just was fun to, to watch that as well. Yeah. And it, he started to murder it slowly during the active session that was open to the media when he was out there running routes and catching absolutely everything thrown at him. Um, and then the final nail was, uh, as he talked about, he talked about how he's never been in a better place mentally. He's never been in a better place emotionally. He was in a good spot. Uh, and, yep. and it was very clear that he used this time during OTAs to get himself ready for what he's going to do this week. So I think that everybody was great. I loved, I loved a lot about Jake Burns today at the uh, media availability, but I love the tweet that he had today where he said of all of these dudes that he's interviewed over time of all the guys that he's met, like OBJ is one of the best of the best, that this is a guy who sparkles. He's charming. He's nice. He answers questions. He makes crazy one-handed catches of stuff as it falls off the podium. Like, He's just an awesome guy to have in the clubhouse. And when you marry that personality with magnetic personalities like Baker and Miles Garrett and Njoku and Jarvis Landry, it's just, it's a guy that fits in the clubhouse. It's a guy that fits in the locker room. And he put to bed a lot of tropes today. Yeah, I would say his personality is unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, I'm 37, so I haven't seen anything like this on our team ever. You know, Miles is a great guy, but he's an introvert. Right, he doesn't really like talking to the media. You can tell he's not an just a super extrovert like a baker. But Baker has this swag about him. He's gonna walk in, and, you know, he is like the the you know, the old Kevin Love, Mr. Still Your Girl, right? <laughs> Bad Kevin, then you had thin Kevin. So you know, Baker's that Baker's got that that bravado about him. 
And while Jarvis has that as well, but he's so smooth as ice with it. I mean, he's Billy D. Williams cool as the other side of the, as the other side of the pillow. Kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really nice to see. Um, I thought that all in all, everybody kind of shined today. I thought that the, the the nonsense of yesterday and the media availability and all the things that that got covered there um, kind of went by the wayside once folks got out there and started really getting after it. Um, so that was good to see. It was good to see more talk about football. I really appreciate during the media availability sessions, people talked about football. They talked about schemes and coverages. They asked some real questions. The, 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 the prayer that we've all had over the last couple of years is as the team improves, the coverage of the team should improve. And rather than asking a bunch of nonsense questions, we'll talk about football things. I know when you have tenured staff and you've got a coach like Belichick that's out there that's been around, that's comfortable in his job, they just don't go down those roads. They don't ask the, they, they don't, they don't answer the questions if they're going to be gotcha quotes. They, they keep, the subject on the game that they just played and where they're going to and, and the things that matter and the things that they have control over. So I appreciate that. I like that uh, as the Desmond Harrison news leaked out um, that Freddie Kitchen's response to that was we moved on. We made the decision. We moved on. It was very clear that the team had given him one more strike, that they weren't up for the nonsense and that as he uh, kind of blew that strike that they were just going to move on quickly. It wasn't going to be a big storyline and they weren't going to dwell on it. And I thought the professionalism there was great. I also think the professionalism of cutting Desmond trash Harrison, excuse my language was good. And that's a really mean thing to say about somebody, but that was maybe the most blood pressure raising head banging on the wall moment of my Browns fandom. And there's a lot of those kind of moments. There's a lot of bullshit things that we've had to suffer as Browns fans, but Starting a guy who literally hadn't played for the team, even in fake games, in the first game, uh, you know, in howling conditions with a quarterback that is known for holding out of the ball too long and not expecting it to turn out in travesty uh, was just hard, a hard tough pill for me to swallow. So I'm excited to put that experience and that whole shtick to bed. Um, How did you guys react to the Justin Harrison news? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, the situation last last season, as you mentioned, it was it was just a, a clown show. It was the epitome of of Hugh Jackson's tenure here, and you know, like you mentioned today on Twitter, Josh, we, we got to Plan Z awfully quickly. Yeah, <clears throat> we didn't see any of the you know all those traits, all those things that people were trying to to buoy him up with. He never really saw. Very concerning. Um, so I think he got, saw- he got better. He got better, but I think you saw a little bit of it when he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't faced with physical pass rush moves. I think that when you were, you were asking him to dance or you're asking him to move, right. uh, as far as tackles go, like he was incredibly athletic. It was just when, when it was ass on ass, when it was somebody bull rushing him and putting some, some manpower on him, he had no response yeah. to that. He just couldn't handle it. Like he didn't have the body strength. He didn't have the, 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 the ballast as some of our other uh, podcast friends like to refer to it. <laughs> He didn't, he didn't have the, the junk in the, the trunk to be able to handle that. Guy. Yeah, he didn't have the, the anchor to, to handle yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll, and I, we talk about this, we joke about it, but the play that I'll always remember is when he came across the line. I think he was pulling, and he was trying to reach reach the player, and he couldn't get to him, and he just all out oh my just, God. just tackled him. Just <laughs> tackled him, and it was just like, what, what is happening? He looked like a linebacker out there. Anyways, <laughs> that's what minimizes that experiment. We suffered the O'Neal era and the early days of oh. Sean LeBow. And some like revoltingly bad line play, and I've never seen an offensive tackle tackle. Like I've never seen an offensive tackle 
tackle someone to keep everything <laughs> correct. It was just everybody collectively at once. The word tackle. Yeah, yeah, everybody all at once kind of looked around them and they were just like, did that? Did we just witness that live? Did he, did he <laughs> you know, he, the hard part for him is I believe he's what, 26? Yeah, very. He's 25, I think. 25, he'd soon to be 26. Doesn't matter. He's, he's not going to get any stronger. I mean, you're going to get a little bit like, a, you know, we talk about, so my background's in kinesiology. So he'll have some, he'll get some strength just as his, as he gets a little older. Uh, we call that old man strength, but <laughs> he's, he is what he is. At this point, his body's developed. He's not still growing. So you can't expect him to have, you know, to grow the bounce or the junk in the trunk. Uh, he, he's just, he's a dancing bear, but he's not, he's not a, he's not a mauler. And just like you said, I noticed it when they played uh, a, a lot of stunts, you know, if a, if a D tackle or nose tackle would, would, you know, come around, he was on his back end. I mean, he yeah. was just sitting there looking up like a newborn baby. I was at both Ravens games this year, the one in Cleveland and the one in Baltimore. And uh, I'd say the biggest difference in the way those games felt was the absence of Desmond Harrison in the second game. Because in the first game, it was literally just three-step drop and Baker kind of scrambling for his life because that's a good defense, and they knew they could bum-rush that offensive line. Um, You can tell the game plan changed a lot and the way that they were running route concepts and the way that they were getting the ball out of his hands changed, but also not having their tackles just immediately collapsing at the point of attack was was a huge difference between game one and game two. Mike... Amongst all of the nonsense from yesterday, as we were talking about, the, uh, the, the Duke Johnson uh, fiasco comes down. And I don't want to beat this up too much. Uh, it's been talked about at great length. But I feel like you and I are a little bit on, on different pages as far as uh, how, we, how we should feel as fans of the game and as uh, the teammates of Duke Johnson go. I liked uh, Ben Albright's quotes about it last night, that there's no winners and there's no losers really in the situation. Um, I kind of feel for Duke Johnson in as much as he was extended. He finally thought that as the coaching staff changed over that he was finally going to earn a role that was similar, more similar to what we saw him used as in like 2015 when he was featured in the offense. And it was, and it went the opposite way. They, they used him less uh, during the, the, the kitchens run than they did in the Hugh Jackson run. Um, I don't, I don't have any problem when you, when you distill it back down to the, the actual quotes and not the, uh, the, the media breakdown of his quotes, I don't have any problems with him saying, look, I, I want to be, I'm on the trading block. I would prefer to see that go through. I would prefer to be somewhere where I can be a valuable part of the offense and where they want me here. It's very clear that this team doesn't. Um, I think that you take umbrage with the, there's nothing I can do to, there's nothing the team can do to make you feel wanted here. But I, you're sick of hearing him talk and I hear you on that. But um, I feel like he has every right to say the things he said yesterday. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so let's let's kind of dissect it a little bit. And I've given some thought about this, and I, I kind of still feel the way I felt yesterday, while while also understanding where where Duke's coming from as a player, right? This is his livelihood. This is his career. Um, even though he just got extended, of course, he, he wants to do more and be a part of an offense. Mm-hmm. So I, all those things being said, I get it. I, I understand that part. But for me, I felt like what you saw today with Odell was very similar to what we could have seen with Duke. Duke had plenty of time to prepare his thoughts on the, on the issue. And he knew it was going to come up when, when he had his time in front of the cameras. And instead of going the same type of route Odell went, he went the way he went. And he kind of threw the organization, I felt, under the bus. And by that, what I mean is, you know, he, he, he makes it about 
his unhappiness and he makes it about not feeling wanted and there being nothing that they can do to, to, to mend the fences. I feel like that was just a very selfish thing to say. And I feel like you saw that when Baker came out because Baker is laser focused. He's, you know, he wants to build a, a winner. He's, he's talks about what are we doing today? What are we focusing on now? And essentially I don't have time. We don't have time for your feelings. Let's be a professional. Let's work on what we have to work on right now and handle that stuff outside of the camera. So I know that that's just sort of how I took it. I, I didn't, um, I just feel like it was unnecessary. I feel it kind of reminded me of, you know, a high school kid going out and looking for attention and looking for uh, kind of reinforcement in social media instead of actually handling the issue uh, and, and dealing with it the right way. You know, I, I would actually agree with you, Mike, the, you know, he, he did it first. They did it first mentality. I don't agree with there, you know, you can't just give up because the Browns signed Kareem Hunt. You know, it, to me, it seems like it, it was right after that signing that just was like, well, I guess I'm not needed. And Freddie ran a three running back wingback set last year. He even told the media he was going to do that as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, which was a great moment in Browns and, coordinator history. And the, the point, like, legendary. It, you can't just go, well, I'm not the starting running back. Or I'm not the number RB2. You know, Dontre Hilliard caught, like, what, nine passes the last week or something like that. He didn't actually have any carries, but he caught, like, nine passes. Freddie is is going to substitute in guys all the time. And maybe – I don't know that if, as, as a man, if Duke feels that he's not John Dorsey's guy, even though John extended him. But, you know, his head coach is gone. This is you – know, he's been through the ringer too, right? The 1-15, and 15, the 0-16, and, and, and yep. you know – Yep. God, we're all excited about seven, eight, and one. But <laughs> I, the statement of we, there's nothing we can do to repair it, I think, was a little too much. He needs to sit down as a man with Freddie, look at Freddie and say, this is what makes me mad. This is why I'm upset. This is how I feel. Freddie gets his frustrations out, shake hands, hug, and go in some damn games. Yep. Sorry if this is not explicit. That's my bad. <laughs> no, this is definitely an explicit podcast. By the way. It oh, is. we we earn that shit weekly. Like, I, okay. I, we try not <laughs> to go overboard because I'm sure people are in the, the car with their kids. But good job on that. Um, but, but yeah, we 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 earn the explicit rating just about every week on this podcast. So don't worry about that. I think w one of the things too that I I've been kind of thinking about, and I, people want to peg it as a negative, and tell me if I'm crazy, but you're crazy. The Browns asking for too much for Duke Johnson almost tells you that they value Duke Johnson. You know, the Browns asking for whatever it is, whether it be a third or a second, whatever, and team saying, no, that's too much, almost tells you that, hey, we, we like this guy, and if you want to come get him, you've got to give us something special. And I think Dorsey is just being true to his statement that he's going to leave no stone left unturned to make this team better. If we could acquire a second or third round pick or a starting guy at a different position of need, he'll, he'll take a look at that. And I think that's just a business of football, and I think that's where I – see the, the the divergent here of of again me feeling like duke is getting upset about the business of football and not focusing on the actual football of football and that is what so, luke luke is talking about right so, yeah. yeah so i don't understand why you, and and i want to focus on the the last part of what you just said that the duke is getting upset about the business of football duke has said very specifically i'm gonna come in here and i'm gonna bust my ass i'm gonna play he showed up first day of minicamp. He's out there. He's working with the punt returners, kick returners. He's doing whatever he can to, to, to keep his value on his team. All he said was, they put me on the block. 
after signing me to, to this extension. And I'm sure there was a conversation that was had when he signed that extension where Dorsey and the rest of the team assured him that he is a vital part of this offense. And then for the second year running, he wasn't a vital part of the offense. He got half of the action that he got the year before. It was incredibly useful and incredibly productive in the, in the time that he got, um, but was utilized less and less. And is very, it's very clear that he's going to continue to be utilized less and less, not just because of the Kareem Hunt's edition, but because Nick Chubb, Chubb or not, is clearly the bell cow for this offense. And he's catching passes. They're working with him as a receiver. Uh, they know that he's going to be the bell cow. And they know that Hunt is on that level and is a Dorsey guy. And they feel great about him. So not only did they kind of feed him a they, – they probably felt fed him kind of a line of BS about what his role is going to be going forward. But then they immediately went out and procured, procured somebody else that's going to be in direct competition for his, his snaps when there already wasn't enough last year with, with a much more limited staff. I have no problems with the, with the way he's acted. I would prefer he not say, I need to get out of here at all costs because that, plump, that, that crushes his trade value. And that's my only problem with all of this is that I want to maximize his actual trade value since it seems like a foregone conclusion that they are going to trade him. I just don't prefer that he's out there. And I think that it's, it's kind of hypocritical for the three of us to say, we wish that you wouldn't talk about this in this way. When then you have Baker Mayfield getting up and being like, that's my man's business. He, this is self-inflicted. He needs to get with the program or get the yeah, F out. Like, rough. yeah, that was, and, and this is part of the Baker Mayfield experience. He's going to be honest. He's going to tell you what, how he feels about things, but yeah. I don't think that we can tag him. I don't think we can tag Duke Johnson and not also pay attention to, to kind of some of the weird quotes that are surrounding it. All in all, I don't have any problems with what he said. I, th- I think he's been a consummate professional through all this. I would prefer to hear less of it, but that is much more a function of the media looking for a clickbaity story than it is anything problems with it. I don't think that Freddie has any problems with where Duke Johnson is at. I don't think that Baker and Duke Johnson have any issues. I think that a lot of this is a construct, and I just would prefer not to hear about it. You know, I want I do want to ask this question. When they put a player on the block, is it like, do they do like the papal smoke where it's like black? And so we <laughs> you always talk about, oh, this player's on the trade block. Do they send a fax to all 31 teams saying, hey, Duke Johnson's available for trade? I love that it's a fax, too. Not a, not a, like, <laughs> how, like, do they, do they, do they have their own MySpace? Right? Where they're they, like, oh, like. They actually send a fax to all 31 teams because we know the one up in Denver is just not working at all. <laughs> so it's just like, we put somebody on the block. Or did they call a couple of teams and say, hey, if you, you know, if you got an extra third round pick, we'll give you Duke John. You know, we'll give you. I, I've never understood that phrase, like he's on the block. Like, it's not it's Madden good. where you just go in there and, oh, hey, on the block. So, yeah, it's, it's very rumor driven. Like, it's like, it's, it's, we're going to leak this into the ether. Like, we're going to leak yep. to somebody who is going to let somebody know on some level so that we have plausible deniability later that this thing might be available. Adam Schefter. <laughs> this person. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was for the most part, we, we transitioned nicely from all of that crap yesterday into a much more football centric mindset today. And I love that. I love that we had things to evaluate. I love that we had some young up and comers getting snaps and we had some feedback on that. This is the first time that we had any feedback on Greedy Williams and Sion Takitaki, your boy, apparently. Yeah. Um, and they were, and it was good news. It was good news. It was Taki Taki playing fast, looking great, looking like a great scheme fit once he gets the once he gets with the program and Greedy Williams having himself a day. Yeah, man, Greedy, I, I've been waiting to kind of hear some of those names be called out. And today obviously was the day yesterday it started. 
with him kind of uh, finding the ball but not converting on that interception opportunity against uh, Odell Beckham. And then today just went just went wild. I think he had two interceptions, one pick six. And what you're seeing, which, you know, you saw on the college tape. And, man, I, I have, like, with Taki Taki and Greedy, I think I have, like, ten minutes of edited film that I still have to put out. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Anyways, it's there. I have it. I'm, I'm going to post it this week. You'll see. But anyways, I mean, Greedy just showed that ability to, to find the ball. And that's what is encouraging. I, I, it sucks that Baker overthrew the pass. <clears throat> it sucks that Higgins tipped it. But what I love to see is, again, Baker, or, or Greedy is continuing to, to find the football. And that's what you want to see. Now we've got two guys that can do that on both sides. Yeah, this is going to be – this yeah. defense is going to be nasty. Like, <laughs> I got goosebumps thinking about it. And obviously, look, they're in hats. They're they're not in pads. So we have to we do have to take we do have to kind of tamper our sure excitement sure slightly. No, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> physically hot right now just talking about this. Like I'm sweating talking about how like the second. I, I, you know, I don't want to be the Jeff Schwartz of of this episode, but we do have to kind of like tamper it down a little bit. I I love talkie talkie too. I like Mac Wilson. I like the whole draft class. I don't even care that we drafted a kicker. Like whatever. Uh, the the greedy's ability to find the ball is great, and the fact that he's playing on Odell is awesome because there's not another receiver in the AFC North that can even hold Odell's jockstrap. I mean, Juju's good, he ain't AB, and he ain't Odell. And Hollywood Brown is really fast, but he's not Odell. And the uh, last I- time I checked, both of our DBs ran sub four four and are fast in pads. So I think right now wide receiver tandem in this NFL that I'm really, I mean, even if we went down to Texas and to play new Hopkins, I would still be okay with our defensive backs. Somewhere there is a like Rocky montage going on and AJ green is working out on it. And he's got your face on the wall. He's like that dude didn't even mention me. He mentioned <laughs> Juju before I, me. I used to be, he's going to stay healthy. I, at least he's going to play 16 games. I don't know. True. But he, AJ green is good. But yeah. again, He's not, he's not Odell fast. Right. I mean, he's not Odell fast, but he's also, he's got Raptor arms that he can, he can, you know, he can, he can jump over <laughs> Odell while going to a ball. Like I think that we kind of sleep on him because he's got a terrible quarterback. He's got the worst quarterback in the AFC North. I said it. Lamar Jackson stand 2019. Um, <laughs> but, but because, and because he's been banged up and because Marvin Lewis was allowed to linger there for three years longer than he should have. But like AJ Green is still AJ Green and Outside of maybe three or four guys, um, it's, it's, it's tough to say that anybody's better than them, but I, but I dig that. Do you think that, that uh, when we line up against the Bengals twice a year, do you think they're putting Denzel Ward or Greedy on AJ? It's a good, uh, it's a good question, um, especially with, uh, with Boyd, too. I mean, he, he kind of came on last year. He's, he's going to be a pretty, pretty tough cover. Um, I think you got to put – I think I think you go with uh, with Ward on, on AJ. Yeah, I would agree with that. That is a – you know, he's got – at least he's got the year of uh, experience, right, of right. playing AB right. and everybody else in Juju. So, you do got to give it – I mean, he's – I don't want to say he's a seasoned vet, but he did play some phenomenal wide receivers last year and held his own. So, yep. if Greedy's even half as talented as what Ward was last year, man – yeah, and I think he's he's more than half. This. I mean, he, he's damn good. I I, I I have no idea how the hell he slipped to where he slipped, but 
we, we certainly uh, are to benefit from that. And finally, it's going to become really, it's going to become apparent really quickly. I think as, as the games start to, to get underway and, and practices start to actually become real practices, you're, you're really going to start to see his abilities start to, to rise to the top. And I'm, yeah, man, I'm excited for this defense. I also, I'm not entirely sure that we're going to be in a situation where Denzel Ward is following anybody around the field. Denzel Ward's an incredible cornerback, but it might just be a situation where they keep people true to their sides and they don't have to swap it in and out. It lets the defense be a little bit simpler. It lets greedy focus on technique on one side of the field versus having to swap back and forth and, and mirror people differently. It might simplify the defense a little bit. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, it, it'll be it'll it'll be very interesting to see the way that that plays out. And I just got to say, it is great to talk about real football stuff again after months and months of nonsense. And will he? And how is the roster going to construct? Having a two-day synopsis of what the team is trying to do, what they're trying to upload, what Munkin is trying to do with formations, what Wilkes is trying to do on defense just makes me so happy. I loved the question that somebody gave. I think it was Jake Burns again asked Sheldon Richardson about where they, he expects to play. And he talked at great length about how he's not just going to play three technique, how they're going to move him from three to, to a more shade position. Uh, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I think essentially it's just, you know, where he's lining up in terms of the, the technique on the center. If he's playing, you know, straight up nose to nose or if he's shading off of one shoulder or the other uh, to the gap. It's just those subtle differences in how you approach, you know, the, the, the offensive line and, and the scheme and, and the play that you're trying to, to, to execute that, you know, that they're referencing there. It's just the nuance of the game and, and how he's going to approach it. Um, not, a true, not a true nose tackle, but he's going to have the ability to shift around a little bit. Yeah, it's essentially moving to the, to the inner shoulder of the guard. So you go from a three technique to, I believe it's called a two I or two one technique. So it's like a 21 assignment. And you get, uh, you know, really cool, just different fronts. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a big, uh, I'm not sure if it's Bum Phillips or Wade Phillips. One of the Phillips, you know, it's one of his kind of algorithms that he came up with. Yeah, and I really appreciate the way that the Browns so far are mixing and matching that defensive front line with the ability to move uh, Sheldon Richardson from more of a three tech to a one tech and bring extra pass rushers onto the field. When you have two guys that are that are heavy pass rushers by based on their background, but are set up to be more like linebackers and Sion Takitaki and Jannard Avery, if you can move him inside and still get pressure from him at a three or a one, same thing with we know what we get with Okajobi. It lets you move those uh, defensive ends inside into more of a five man front, more of a bare front. Uh, and bring an extra defensive back into the field, which it seems like early going on in OTAs and minicamp that Wilkes is really fond of, bringing that that big safety, that big nickel in, and rotating Avery and Sion Takitaki down to be extra pass rushers while, while potentially getting uh, Miles Garrett lined up on a guard, getting uh, uh, Olivier Vernon lined up on a guard. These are big things. These are fun things to see. And when you have speed, on the defensive front, like the Browns do, when you have pass rushing ability all along, five or six different guys, whew, it's fun. Yeah, no, those combinations are are really exciting. And, and to your point, they were, you know, Garrett was lining up inside a lot. He's been lining up at, at left end a lot, and it just allows for those combinations, like you mentioned, Avery coming off the edge. Um, it's it, and you think about it. You put you're going to put Miles Garrett next to Sheldon Richardson, and, mm -hmm. and it's just. 
it's mind-boggling what, what teams are going to do to try to slow that down while, you know, leaving who open to get to the quarterback or to make a play. It's going to be exciting. What's oh, going to be even more amazing is you're going to have Shoulder Richardson and Miles Garrett, and right between those two, stack like a pyramid, is going to be Jannard Avery. <laughs> <laughs> right? So then, and then you take it a step further, and behind him is Morgan Burnett. So you really get, like, the layers of a cake just – you don't know who's coming at that point. So it's, it's pretty Wilkes is going to have a fun. I God, I, I'm just so excited. God, I really had an, uh, an, an important thought there. I had something intelligent to say, but then you said cake and now I'm just thinking about cake. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, I do want to plug uh, your podcast. I'm not sure what's going on with the road dogs podcast. I, I, I seen that you, you've, you've been guest hosting a, a little bit around here and there. Um, yeah. It's good to have you here with us, but, but tell us a little bit about your podcast. So uh, the podcast is going through, uh, it's going through a cocoon phase right now. A cocoon phase? We're going to evolve like a butterfly. <laughs> the, uh, on the end, it's going to be mainly just me going forward. Uh, just, you know, life happens. So just updating some software, getting some, some bugs worked out, coming up with some ideas, rebooking guests. Uh, our podcast is still going to be, you know, Brown's Focus Fun but also what to do when you come to Cleveland, um, you know, going out to tailgates, having a good time. You know, we talked about kind of, you know, off air that, you know, this is a big family and, you know, I would, you all live out of town. I used to live out of town and I would drive up for the home games and get here and we go, what do we, what do we do? Hmm. I don't know anybody. I don't have any family or friends here. And so you walk around the Muni lot, you walk around, you know, sixth and Barley, fourth street, West third and summit. And you're just kind of meandering and, kind of creepy hoping somebody says hi and strikes up a conversation and so what we want to do is allow our browns brothers and sisters from out of town to come into town and have an idea of where they want to go because they hear a voice or they hear somebody and say hey i heard about you on the road dogs podcast i want to check out your tailgate so we're always looking for people to come on to talk about you know whether they have a tailgate do they want more guests do they need to bring something what do they do so we're going to do that. We've had uh, some players on and we're going to just keep, you know, doing some fun Brown stuff and still focus on, you know, the food and what to do when you're in Cleveland. So a lot of cool episodes that we've had in the past. And then, you know, going forward, it's just going to be rock and roll and having fun. I'm going to go down to one show a week because it's just me now. So I got to do everything, but uh, maybe in the future I'll, I'll go back up to two, but I would say probably another month or so we'll, we'll start putting out episodes. Thanks, man. Well, I'm glad that you were able to join us uh, for this podcast. I caught you for the first time uh, when you had Ryan Burns on, and I couldn't believe how much work goes into these these tailgates. I, you know, I, I love tailgates, and I love uh, I love doing tailgates as a visiting fan because for the most part, I, I catch about one Browns football game in Cleveland a year, and then all the rest of my games are either you know here in the greater DC area or out on the road. This year, I know we've we've talked about a big road trip out to Arizona watch the Browns play the Cardinals out there. Um, good time of the year to be going to Arizona and not be going to Cleveland. Um, especially if you're into uh, sunshine. Yep. So um, it was Mike cool to have it. All in the sunshine. Yeah, yeah, Mike is our resident sunshine eater. He likes to remind And he's got a picture in the background of Hawaii. Yeah. Gosh. It's a good thing I've been to Maui. I think it's a good thing. There you go. <laughs> that was taken by my, my drone that just took a, a, a bath in the ocean. So... It's a little sentimental at this point. So wow. I, it's, it's, it's a done deal, but 
when I get my replacement, I can come on and I can drill the, 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 the tailgate down there. That'd be fun. One of the things that I want to do that I had this idea is even for, for Cleveland fans to travel like yourselves is to get to sync up with the Browns backers from those areas. And that way, you know, I can have, you know, I've, I've been in contact with like the, the Bay area Browns backers for the Niners game. And when you, when they get together. And so when, when we as fans, even from in, in Cleveland or out of Cleveland travel, again, you know where the party is. You're not just wandering around some random stadium parking lot and you have an idea of I need to go here because I need to get as much alcohol on me as possible because it's going to be an awesome time and I don't want to waste time looking around for everybody. So I, I just kind of want to network everybody together. I'm a, I'm a giant LinkedIn for Browns fans is what I <laughs> myself. That's pretty great. And, and I know from experience that some of these cities have great Browns backers who throw incredible tailgates and some of them just kind of go through the motions. When, uh, when the Browns opened against the Jets a couple years ago, the Josh McCown fumble copter game, mm-hmm. the, uh, the New York Browns backers uh, via Josh Steele hosted a bunch of the, uh, a bunch of the BBN folks uh, for a tailgate out there. It was fantastic. And, and there really isn't anything that's like that. When you get to hang out and prep and get hyped for a game with a bunch of other Browns fans before you go in, it really does change your change your whole experience. Because once you get inside, people are going to be awful to you. Um, some places more than others, uh, especially Baltimore. This was a place I, I had tailgated and had gone to a Baltimore Ravens game uh, as a Saints fan many, many years ago. And everybody was great. Everybody was really friendly. It was early in the season. I was like, I think that Baltimore fans have a uh, – I think, I think the word that's out about them as fans is kind of inaccurate. I think that they're good guys for the most part. I remember people were, were hugging the folks next to them. They, when we screwed up some tailgate equipment, they gave us, the, the folks next to us gave us some of theirs, even though we were wearing Saints stuff. Um, and then I went to the game 17, or the week 17, uh, uh, game 16, Ravens-Browns this year, where they needed to beat us to get into the playoffs. And I sat next to uh, one of my co-hosts, and on the other side, I sat next to some season ticket holders, and they were the nicest dudes. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. See, everybody, like, this is what... Baltimore Ravens fans are all about. And then the Browns were driving with the season on the line. And I've never been so sure I was going to get stabbed between my seats in the parking lot. And I'm not exaggerating. Like I really thought I was going to get kicked out of me uh, just leaving the stadium. And I was just like, Oh, this is going to be different. Like tailgating as a visiting fan as a Brown now generally is going to be a much different experience because people are not going to be like, Oh, thanks for coming guys. That's so cute. Like, thank you for giving my city tourism dollars. Thanks for giving us an easy win. We're going to enjoy this the uh the hardest part about all this is that we are no the lovable loser mantra is gone you know everybody is oh we want to see the browns do good right we makes the league better and it's it's so nice when the browns are winning everybody hates patriots fans and we are way more obnoxious than they ooh, are ooh we are we I are I, i'm going to well, I'm going to disagree with you on that. Just because Patriots fans live in Boston, they've had this unparalleled run of success for 15 plus years in all their sports. They're obnoxious in large parts because they don't remember what it was like to have a crappy team. And they'll be like, oh, I lived through 20 years of the Patriots being bad. Like the Browns have lived through 50 years of the Browns being either bad or screwing up in like a laughably ridiculous ways. Like, Patriots fans are just like at a very different level because they're used to unbridled sports success. Like it is, they, it, they treat football games like it's a Catalina wine mixer. They're just out there enjoying the fresh air, like 
having a wonderful time. And they know it's going to be okay. They know when the team has cut literally every professional NFL wide receiver on the roster in August, that by November, all the guys that are left are going to be perfectly fine, that they're just going to plug and play, that everything is going to be fine. And that creates a sense of obnoxiousness that you just don't see. It's a multi-sport culture. And some of that's just New England in general, but- I think it's their accent. (laughs) It's their accent. Second second sexiest accent in America per Forbes or somebody last week. Bullshit. Yeah, I I think somebody from Forbes was from there. (laughs) I think somebody from Forbes is from there. I think it's fair to to assume that that is the second sexiest accent as long as the first sexiest accent is literally everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Just a small caveat, that's all. Uh, so, so we're going to take a break real quick here um, to give our sponsors that we never give a chance to talk, a chance to talk. And then we are going to circle back around uh, for a lightning round fill in the blank. Welcome back to this Believe Land is Your Land podcast. I'm going to be really excited to not have to say that again in another week or two. Amen. Um, uh, so, so we're going to do a real quick... Uh, hot take session here um we're gonna ask a couple questions some of them are browns football related some of them are not um we're gonna do a whole podcast soon where we're just gonna cover some of these topics because if you look at the podcast related text message chain it's it's almost 30 percent of the time browns related and (laughs) completely uh pop culture food beer related the rest of the time so at some point we're just gonna take a break in one of these uh uh, dregs of the season nothing football going on and we're gonna do a podcast by week yeah yeah, maybe a bi-week podcast. So question number one, I'm going to let our guests go first, and then, Mike, you're going to go second. Um, sports interview, and this is in lieu this – this is with OBJ giving that sterling, wonderful interview today. Um, who was your favorite – and it could be a, a one-time interview or just generally the guy you enjoyed seeing get interviewed the most. Who was the guy that you loved to see or the lady you'd like to see interview the most? Any sport. Um, who I see giving the interview or, or being interviewed? Being interviewed. <sighs> hmm. This is not very lightning. You know, I, I'm going to have to say Joe Thomas. He's, he was so jovial that, sure. you know, he always had a good time. He always made the person laugh and he always turned their questions back on them. So I, Joe, Tom, Joe Thomas better now or, or better than, do you think? Better than. Better than? Better than, yeah. Yeah, fat Joe Thomas was better than thin Joe Thomas. <laughs> then Joe Thomas... This week got some shots up, and I really appreciated his 17-part Twitter tirade about why Tony Grossi is an idiot. That, that, was, that was really fun to read. <laughs> Mike, what about you? Best, best interview? Uh, let's go with LeBron James. Ooh, I know, that's, a, you know that's, a, that's, an easy, that's an easy target because of the Cleveland ties, but I don't know. Again, he's just another guy that is such an icon and, and – always has so much gravitas behind what he says and it just commands so much respect. And again, just as not just a player, but as a man is, is such a, a role model to listen to. So I always enjoy when, when, you know, he's dishing out just straight up, you know, his feelings and his thoughts on stuff. It's always fun to consume that. Um, what I always liked about LeBron James during that era. And I, he, he eventually got to a point where he was a robot in his interviews. Like he just never really said the wrong thing, but he came to the league as an 18 year old. And I thought that with all of the hype that he had and all of the expectations, when, when he was interviewed and he was asking these kind of questions, he always seemed to kind of know the right answer, even as an 18 year old kid. And that was 
tremendous. I always appreciated that at that age, because if you had asked me questions at 18 that at, at, on that kind of a stage, I can only imagine the terrible things that would have rolled out of my mouth. Right, right. So, so I'm going I'm to punt on the question a little bit. I'm going to say my favorite interview was literally anybody after the fact that was on those mid-90s uh, Cleveland Indian squads. I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but Spencer Hall at SB Nation did, does a uh, interesting story podcast. And they did, he did one called The Great Bat Caper, in which they described Albert Bell and his cork bat and how they stole it from the, the, the umpire's office. And some of that I thought was just urban legend. But he goes through and he, like, they, he has uh, MLB umpires talking about it. He has guys that were on the team that were involved in it. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a real story. And I realized that like literally anytime you get those guys talking about the Coke and joke, but, but more the Coke and the, the adrenaline and the steroids and the wife swapping, all the crazy things that happened on that nineties Indians team that like, we're never going to see a group of misfits like that together on one squad. And I'm including the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers in that group, like just a, a, a an incredibly interesting and fun and outgoing you include personalities like Omar and Manny and all those guys into it. Um, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, best 80s or 90s movie that still holds up today. And I ask this because we watched The Princess Bride three days ago, and it was incredible, and it crushed, and I loved it. And it, it, it was a throwback to when we watched Die Hard over Christmas, and we are like, still the best Christmas movie of all time. Like, there are some movies that still somehow managed to hold up. What's, the, what's an 80s or 90s movie that you think – uh, stands the test of time. Okay, so I have I have a 1A and 1B. 1A, Iron Eagle. Hands down, awesome movie. Flies to Saudi Arabia and saves his dad as an F steals an F-16 from the US Air Force <laughs> with five friends, okay? Some <laughs> 1B, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is a fantastic answer. Wow. Nice. Came strong. Came strong. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with more of the Less explosions and well, less explosions, more adventure. And the, the Goonies, hands down. I can watch the Goonies anytime it's on. It's one of my favorite, absolute favorite movies. Um, in fact, I took I took my girlfriend to one of our first dates on the. They, they were playing it on the big screen out here, and they do it you know like that every year. They kind of bring some of the old school movies back, and she'd never seen it. And we went, and they're handing out free baby Ruth on your way in, and she had no <laughs> idea what it was. I'm like, oh my god, this is so great. She's like, what? Anyways, uh, definitely the Goonies. And she liked it. Oh, she loved it. She, yeah, she'll watch it anytime okay. now, too. If I, try to, if I try and watch an 80s or 90s movie that I didn't see in the era, or I try to introduce my wife to something from that era that I thought was hilarious, it has like a 10% chance of success. Like, oh. I, remember I remember trying to show her Monty Python on the Holy Grail, which I thought was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I thought that that was universal. Like, I thought that was just as funny... At the time, I'm laughing. 10%. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's high, man. I would have given that like a 2% chance. Not even. We didn't, we didn't make it through 10 minutes. She was like, yeah. what the is going on <laughs> in this movie? What are these? Like, is this for real? Like, why is he clapping coconut? Like, this is dumb. Um, so, so I have to evaluate that appropriately. Um, <laughs> last question. And this came up because they just released the uh, betting odds for the AFC title. And everyone got horny about it because the Browns were like third behind the Chiefs and the Patriots, which is bold for a team that has won a total of eight games in three seasons. Um, but I'm here for it, and I love it, and I'm I'm with it, and I understand why. No breaks, uh, no breaks. But did anybody see who the bottom team on this list was? Dolphins, maybe. 
it was the Dolphins. And I know it's the Dolphins because two of Brown Twitter or Cleveland Twitter's famous, uh, Ziggy from Akron and Sportsnom, Jeff, uh, are Dolphins fans. Uh, they're they're uh, Cavs fans and Dolphins fans. And both of them were like, come on, like what? We are not, like, even if it's true, I don't need to see this. I don't need to go into my football season knowing that it's going to be this bad. And I was like, why are the, I, I get that the Dolphins are rebuilding and they've got an unknown quantity of coach, but like, isn't in a league where quarterback play is so crucial, isn't there somebody that has worse quarterbacks in the AFC than Josh Rosen? And I know, and, and I'm remembering back to when the around the NFL guys and favorite of the pod, Mark Sessler, did their quarterback ranking. And a lot of people had Josh Rosen right at the same level as like a Derek Carr, in which like we don't know where his trajectory are going, but we know like some of these other guys are kind of meeting him in the middle coming down. And, and that most of the guys in this podcast would rather take a stab at him based on his upside and some of the other guys are out there. And I was like, outside of that, Dolphins got some players. Like, would you take – the question for you, would you take the field or the Dolphins as the worst team in the AFC? And who do you think could be worse? Ooh. I still think the Dolphins just – still know. Like, they're saying that uh, Kirkpatrick is looking great down there. Or not uh, Kirkpatrick. Fitzpatrick. Uh, Fitzpatrick. Great. And I'm like, Josh Rosen was like the 10th pick last year. I don't know. Like, I just, I just don't think if you don't have the guy, you, you, you're, we've seen it too much. Like, yeah. I think they're the worst team in the AFC. A lot of AFC teams that aren't sure they have the guy right now, and and we've got a, we've got at least three of them on our schedule. And I get that those teams have better support systems around them, but what do you think, Mike? So in preparation, I, I kind of threw together my list, and I'll just share the bottom four in order for me were the the Titans, Dolphins, Bengals, Jags. In that order. Yeah. You think the Jags might be worse than the Dolphins? I mean, again, I did this quickly. The Titans surprised me, but yeah. Definitely room for debate, I, I suppose. <clears throat> but the Titans were my, my surprise pick. I don't think they're going to be very good. Yeah, but Dolphins, Bengals, Jags. We'll just so, say in some, or, in some order, we'll say. Yeah. And, and the problem there is that two of those four teams have good defenses. The Titans and the Jags have, have at least on paper, very good defenses. The Bengals historically have had a decent defense. Um, and the problem is that they think the Dolphins' defense is also going to be bad. Um, my problem with that listing is that I just, like, literally cannot think that anybody's going to be worse than a Josh Allen-led team. Uh, and I get that Buffalo's defense is going to be fantastic. But I just struggle to understand how that team's going to put up points with, with an aging LaShawn McCoy and a bunch of, like, number two, number three receivers and a quarterback that couldn't hit water from a boat. Uh, I just if, – if I was a betting man, I'm looking – and I'm not. I'm terrible at betting. And you're going to make fun of me for this podcast later when we see how terrible the stake is and the Dolphins win two games uh, and draft two next year. Uh, but I just – I love to I love to bet, bet against Josh Allen. I hate Josh Allen. <laughs> Let us know how you really feel. Yeah. I, had, I had yellow sticky notes all over my house uh, threatening <laughs> to do all kinds of horrible things to my Browns fanhood and my jerseys and all the collective things that they drafted Josh Allen last year uh, in the top five picks. Um, we want to give a, a short shout out uh, as we wrap up here to Aditi. Uh, I'm not even going to try on the last name, but um, it's been awesome. Wow, just right off the top of your head. I'm very impressed. Wow, yeah. uh, that's good. I like uh, her reporting. She's a good reporter. She's that's, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm going with this. Uh, Aditi, we, we've loved on this podcast, we've loved your reporting over the years. We are very excited to have you and Andrew involved in Brown's training camp this year. 
Um, we know Andrew's kind of from Cleveland. He's one of us. Uh, so uh, it's nice to see you come over from uh, covering the Steelers a little bit more. Uh, congratulations on the addition. Um, we're assuming that that's what the, the tweets today were about. And just generally speaking, um, shouts out to all of the coverage this year, which has been so much better. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I've really enjoyed uh, having Jake Burns uh, up there. I've enjoyed all of the OBR guys who have been in there asking great questions, getting good coverage. Um, Jared Mueller, we always love your stuff. Um, and um, Doug Lamarie is over at the Cleveland Plain yep. Dealer. Uh, Dan Lab. Dan, yep. Uh, really, uh, the, the, the coverage is getting better. We talked about it earlier in the podcast. As the team gets better, coverage is getting better. Uh, what people are demanding is getting better. Uh, and I think that there's a little bit of clapping back against the the bad kind of coverage we've had over the years. So I'm thinking, I'm hoping that a little bit of light shaming there kind of encourages that behavior and helps it continue. You know, it's bad when my wife notices it. Oof. She's like, oh, that's that's just that's just bad. <laughs> she's. she's I mean, she enjoys the Browns, but she doesn't like follow like we do, and in you know our listeners. But like yeah. lunatics, like yeah, she's not a lunatic. Yeah. I mean, I moved my whole family here. I mean, how? I'm I'm insane. Mike, yeah, we're still I, waiting on you to move here. I'm here still holding on. that. You I said know. you were moving. I'm waiting well, for it. You're well met. The whole this land, this believe land is your land. Podcast is moving to Cleveland uh, over the course of the next year. Or so um, you are in good company on that one. Yep. Yep. Well. I know uh, I've caught some flack for, for, for wanting to move back, but definitely, definitely on the radar still. And when it is, I'm yeah, looking forward to uh, connecting with everybody on the podcast, getting down to the tailgate, and just watching some good football, man. It's an exciting season. Yeah, Luke, we'll definitely have you guys on to talk about football stuff before, but uh, very interested to hear as the offseason progresses what all of the new news for, for tailgating type stuff is. Again, uh, this is Luke. Uh, you can find him at Road Dogs, uh, or you can just uh, follow. You have an individual Twitter account. Yeah, right? so my my individual, it's kind of weird because I went to IUPUI in Indianapolis. So everyone's like, how do you say that? Is it Uwe Pui? That's what that means. It's IUPUI guy 82. It's not two L's. It, those are I's. They're capital. So it's hard <laughs> to tell. Uh, yeah, the actual Road Dogs one I'm going to be shutting down because Twitter itself decided to mess up. And they have a bot that does all their customer service stuff. You, you can't call and be like, Hey, you messed up my email. No, no, you have to like send them a DM and I I'm talking to Skynet. So I'm, I'm just going to delete the road dogs podcast account and let it sit for a month or two before I come back. But uh, for now it's at IUPY guy 82. And we'll, uh, we'll tweet that out as we tweet out the show notes. So all seven of the guys listening to this podcast, uh, follow this dude, I think, or did we make it up to eight was the last episode. Did we agree that we have eight listeners now? Yeah. Um, it's been great. It's been real. I appreciate you guys. Uh, showing up today uh next week we'll have more of a wrap on minicamp in general uh and what what we learn from minicamp and then it'll be a couple months uh, a month or so of getting our stuff together getting prepped getting conditioned lifting weights practicing eating a lot of cheese and dark beer to get ready for the season um because it'll be it'll sneak up on us july will be here before we know it and it'll be real football time it's it's on it's on the horizon and it's an exciting time to be prepped. Awesome. Boy, Josh, guys, thank you for, uh, for the great podcast and, and everyone have a good night. We'll, uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Yes. Thank you for having me on gentlemen. I appreciate it. We appreciate having you here. Look.